On this episode of the Engineer Soft Skills Podcast, I am joined by Saul Rosenbaum of The Engineering Mentor. Saul has worked for 18 plus years in energy engineering and has earned a variety of certifications, including the PE and CEM licenses. We discuss Saul's engineering background, his views on how one can develop as an engineer, his favorite books and resources, his top tips on productivity and job hunting, and a ton of other things. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview and glean a lot from it, as I know that I did. Without further ado, let's dive into the interview with Saul Rosenbaum of The Engineering Mentor. Welcome to The Engineer Soft Skills Podcast. My mission is to help engineers like you develop your soft skills, which are all the skills you weren't taught in engineering school. You will learn how to develop your confidence, increase your productivity, become a better problem solver, and improve your social skills in order to design a career and life that you love. I'm here with Saul Rosenbaum, who has been working in the energy efficiency field for about 18 years and started a website, which is how I found him, called TheEngineeringMentor.com. Saul, thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you've had a long, expansive career in engineering. Could you describe your background a bit? Sure. Um, my, my degrees are in uh, mechanical engineering. And I kind of went right into energy efficiency straight out of college. Actually did not, never took an energy efficiency class in undergrad, never took an energy class in undergrad. But I came to this position thinking it was more on the HVAC side of things. And I just started to love the whole energy efficiency field. So from that job, really dealing with every little piece of the energy projects, I started moving around to a little bit in business development, towards management, consulting, and, and to my current position where I'm a director of uh, green energy projects, you know, where we deal with energy efficiency and green initiatives for lots of uh, commercial buildings. Yeah, that's awesome. And through what you've learned, you decided to create um, the engineeringmentor.com. What inspired you to do that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've had, you know, throughout my career, I look back and I see that I've had some really great mentors, some really great bosses, senior engineers that have helped me get to where I am today. And I always thought this was something that everybody had, that this was more of the norm. And I was talking to some younger engineers and I sort of mentioned it offhand about, you know, yeah, my mentor, I was talking to him about some projects and they kind of looked at me like they never even heard of this. And I started asking around to a lot of different, you know, some of the younger engineers, some of my coworkers, and I found that what I thought was normal, my experience was actually outside of the norm. That I was really one of the lucky ones that had this type of experience. And so that's when I started to, you know, put out some general articles. I started a newsletter just so that, you know, people who are out there who don't have these resources could have somewhere to turn. It may not, you know, be the exact same thing as having an in-person mentor, but at least it's more than not having something at all. Yeah, that's fantastic. And yeah, I definitely want to um, admire that you're putting it out there. That's, that's amazing. And as you, what you found through being mentored by others and what you teach on your site, what are some of the most important things that you learned in terms of how to develop yourself as an engineer? Um, I think that two, two things. Number one, is that you're not going to get there on your own, that you need other people that, you know, get their help. The other thing is, it's okay to ask for their, their help, you know, go to them and reach out 
when you don't know what you're doing. But the one caveat on that is don't go to them and just keep asking them, you know, hey, how do I this, do this? How do I do that? You know, come to them with a solution and say, hey, here's what I think is the right way to do it. Here's why I think this is the right path. You know, what, what do you have to say? What's your input? And this way you're showing them, it. you're putting in your efforts, but you also value their opinion on the situation. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And then when you do work with somebody, um, let's say you're mentoring somebody, what are the things you tend to pass along to them? Right. So the truth is I don't do a ton of one-on-one mentoring just because this is more of a side thing for me and I have to have my focus on my primary job. Yeah. So I do you know, mentor people through my articles, through my material. Um, but the main thing that I focus on is really non-technical skills because I think that, you know, listen, you're not going to get a mechanical engineering job if your mechanical engineering skills suck. That's sort of a given. But I think there's a lot of mechanical engineers out there who will think, oh, I have mechanical engineering skills and that's all I need for success. That's all I need to kind of have some career mobility. So I like to teach them, you know, some of these peripheral skills. A lot of them need help with networking, public speaking, communication, um, where to go with just, you know, licensing and certifications. These types of things that are not taught in engineering school, you know, I have heard of a few universities that will have, you know, a one semester class, like minimal work on this, but they're not part of the normal uh, engineering curriculum. Yeah, I agree. It's sad that that isn't taught in engineering school because I I tend to agree with you where the non-technical skills, obviously we are not denying, I I would assume that (laughs) technical skills are important. They're important, of course. And the non-technical skills are huge and, and sort of they're like a force multiplier for your technical skills. Um, But as you think of technical skills versus non-technical skills, which do you tend to think are more important for your career success and why? Um, I mean, it's it's a tough question because I think it depends on, you know, which side of it you look at. Um, If your resume has no technical skills, then you're not going to get called in for the interview. But if you have very poor, you know, interpersonal skills and you don't present yourself well on the non-technical side, well, then your interview isn't going to go very well. So they really go hand in hand at the beginning of your career. As you continue to move on, I think you see the same sort of dichotomy there where if you can't do the engineering work, well, then they're not going to keep you in that engineering position. But if you also can't, you have no leadership skills and you don't know how to properly convey your ideas, then the chances that you'll lead a project or be a manager are also diminished. So they go hand in hand, you know, in, in different ways, I think throughout your career. But if I if I had to pick one, I honestly say that non-technical skills are the biggest differentiator because especially among a lot of engineers, you're kind of setting yourself apart. So as long as you have the basics, and again, the same way, you know, we have open book tests, you're not expected to know everything. You can always go to another engineer and find out something technically but if you're the one presenting it, then you need those communication skills. You can't get around that. Yeah, yeah. We were just talking a little bit before um, we started recording here about one of your posts, Life is an Open Book Test. I don't know if that's the title of it or not, but that's the, that's the general idea. And I love that idea. Could you expand a little bit upon that? Yeah, I mean, I, I had a uh, professor and every one of his tests was an open book exam. And he would just say, listen, 
you have an hour and a half or two hours to finish the exam and you know, have a look at that book. And if you can find it in that time, that's good. And I think that that really works well when you get out into industry. There's nobody stopping you from calling another engineer, looking at a research book, but you have a deadline like, hey, by Friday morning, you need to submit that work. So I just think it really mirrors real life a lot better where you are, you know, you, you can look at the resources. You don't, you're not fixed, you know, to what you have memorized, you know, beforehand. Yeah. And in fact, you shouldn't be right. <laughs> uh, where I think school oftentimes teaches us, we need to have everything memorized and at the top of our brain to be able to have it, you know, utilizable in the real world. And in reality, right. just knowing where to, we talked a little bit about this, knowing where to reference the thing or knowing the general concepts. And then, you know, being able to look up what you need, um, that, that's, a, that's a valuable skill and a valuable way to approach problems. Right. I, I think that, you know, one of the most important skills an engineer can learn in their career is to kind of notice, see what the variables are within a problem. And if they can identify them within any problem, you know, they can come to a new situation and say, oh, okay, here's the type of situation we need. Here's the type of formula we're going to use. Again, if you don't remember that exact formula by heart, that's fine. You just have to know what are the variables that are important within a given situation and then go from there. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I noticed on your website there are there's a page full of recommended resources, recommended books. And there are a variety of them on there. And I think that's, if you're listening to this, going to that, going to that page would be a great way to find some awesome resources. Saul, what are the resources that you've personally found to be the most helpful? Um, I, I think that my, my, so my favorite book is probably um, Never Eat Alone by uh, Keith Ferrazzi. Um, I, what I like about that book is that, you know, people have in mind that, you know, networking is a networking event, that I'm going to the network at a specific time, you know, hey, Thursday night, the Association of Energy Engineers is having their event, that's networking. And I'm not saying that's not networking, but I think that's a very limited view of what networking can be. Um, reaching out to anybody that you come in contact with and developing relationships with them, being able to help them out, they can help you out, and not really having any specific goal in mind. You know, it's just a much broader view of networking. So I really like that book. Um, the other author that I really like is uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Um, one of his books, my favorite book of his is um, David and Goliath, which for some reason, a lot of people don't know about that one as much, but he really like delves into lots of situations where the apparent underdog is actually the favorite because we're just kind of looking at it in the wrong way. So I, I thought that was a re re really good book and kind of helps, you know, Kind of give, give you a little mindset uh, change on some of the way you look at things. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what So when you think about, let's say that you had a person who came to you and they feel like they have a fairly good handle on the technical skills of engineering. They're not necessarily looking to learn that, but they find that they really struggle with the non-technical skills. They're in, in, intensely introverted or shy and afraid to put themselves out there. What would you work with that person on? What, what would you say would be the best thing for that person to, to learn and to grow? Right. I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert on uh, introversion. Um, 
But two things that I've found that work. Um, the first one is a bit of like a, a mindset change. Instead of thinking, you know, hey, I'm, intro I'm introverted or I'm extroverted, it's more that you have introverted tendencies or extroverted tendencies. Because the fact is, a lot of us are somewhere in the middle with a little bit on each side. So just changing that can sometimes help, you know, change your approach to a situation. Um, but what I found is also setting smaller goals to keep yourself comfortable. So I had one student that I was working with who clearly needed to go, start going to some of the uh, engineering society events, needed to get out there a little bit, but was absolutely terrified. So I told him, I'm like, listen, go to the event. I want you to stay there for 10 minutes and meet one new person. And not only can you leave then, but I told him he has to leave then. I'm like, I don't want it to be on your mind that there's anything more that you're supposed to do. Go in there, take care of that, and then leave. And, you know, he did that. He actually did that like three, four times. And finally, you know, he's like, oh, you know what? I still sat in the back, but I made it through the whole event. And, you know, slowly he got more comfortable with it. And I think that's really about, you know, you know finding what works for you. Because there is no one size fits all in any of this. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic mindset. The the idea that you can and should just start small with things. And I think we often feel like in order to in order to do something and have it be useful, I have to just do a ton, right? If I'm learning exercise for the first time, I have to, you know, go for an hour long run or something like that because otherwise what's the point? And I think instead what's important to focus on is just getting yourself comfortable with something and getting into the habit of doing it. So, you know, when it comes to the exercise example, just putting on your shoes, you know, and in some clothes, exercise clothes and getting out of the house is a great way to just start that habit. And you'll often find, Oh, this actually isn't so bad once I get started. Um, but getting started can be the hardest part. So I think that's a great right. mindset to have. Yeah. It's interesting. I actually heard one person call it the, uh, I believe it was the uh, minimum viable product. And basically he said, you know, like his example was push-ups. He's like, yeah, if, if you could do a hundred push-ups a day, you're going to be in great shape by the end of a month. He's like, but when I, I tried doing that, you know, I would do, you know, 50 and then 50 and 50. And I was hitting a hundred every day, but after like a week and a half, I just got sick of it. And he found that if he just woke up in the morning, did 10 push-ups, and that was it, you know, kind of stayed there. He's like, I got used to that. I did that for two months, and then I just increased it slowly. So the idea of like sort of purposely keeping it low and not trying to like, you know, hit that home run, a lot helps a lot of people in the long run. Yeah. And since it, in some way we're kind of veering toward this topic um, as we speak about it, I'm curious, when it comes to the topic of productivity, what are some things that you found to be the most useful? Um, for, for me, I, I find um, to-do lists are, are, are really important because, and I keep it, you know, I have a small little pad right next to my uh, keyboard that's always sitting there as a constant reminder. Um, but the one thing that I do, two, two things that I do a little bit different than other people, I always put my to-do list together at the end of my day for the next day. Because if you, if you wake up in the morning you know, kind of get to your desk, you know, through your commute and whatnot, and then start deciding what you're going to do that day, you're going to forget something. And you're also wasting a lot of time trying to remember it all. If you do it, you know, the last thing of the day, you know, what's on your list. It'll go a lot faster. 
The other thing I do is that I rewrite the list every day and prioritize. And so basically, instead of looking at it like, you know, hey, which one of these things can I bang out the fastest? I actually look which is the, you know, the highest priority item. So that could be a two hour task, but I'll do that one before the five minute one if I've had it, you know, higher on the list, just because, you know, that five minute one, yeah, I can do it quickly, but it's just not as important. So let, let it fall down. Yeah, that's one of the the pieces that I've heard repeated in terms of productivity advice. It's not, you know, doing a lot of things. It's much more important to focus on what is the most important thing that I could do. And often that thing tends to be the hardest thing to do. And so we avoid it and avoid it, even though it's the thing that could move us forward the most. So I think the idea of having that be the first thing on your list and just attacking it in the morning I think that's huge. And that, that tends to be the time when we have the most energy and the most willpower and we're able to attack those tasks. Right. And I think that um, one of the books that I would also highly recommend is called uh, When by uh, Daniel Pink. And he talks about that. You know, a lot of people, you know, you talk, talk to them, they say, hey, got to wake up five in the morning, go for a run, go for a shower, you know, like really cold water, and then, then you can really get going. But a lot of people, they're like, nah, you know what? I like sleeping until 10 and working later. So it's not a one size fits all. And what he talks about is really sort of different, you know, modes that people have. And he has a test in there, you know, like basically, you know, like if you could wake up at any time on your own, what time would you wake up? You know, if you could go to sleep at any time, what time would you go to sleep? And from there, he kind of breaks everybody down to different groups to see what ranges you're, you know, be most productive in when you should sort of take lighter tasks. So it's a pretty good book that I would uh, recommend everybody uh, check out. Yeah, that's fascinating. I haven't read that one. And I think it's it's also just good to highlight that a lot of this advice can often sound very, you know, one size fits all. And you should just follow this advice no matter who you are. I think a hugely important thing is to take what personally fits for you and what feels good for you and what works for you and sort of discard the things that don't tend to work for you um, and really taking it on as how, how do I personalize this advice? So I think that's great. When it comes to your career personally, what are some of the things that you're the most glad that you did? Um, I, I think that actually it comes back to that first company that I worked for. Um, it was a relatively small firm and what it allowed me to do is you know, climb through mechanical rooms one day and, you know, then come back to the office and do some calculations. But at the same time, you know, I'm sorry, on the same project, we would come back to it and I would be doing construction management, project management, we'd have recommissioning. So it really let me see from start to finish, you know, the entire process. And I think that's important. It's important in general, even if you're going to work in one specific area of engineering, if you understand, you know, what's coming before and what's coming after, you're going to be a lot better off with your design because you kind of have that in mind, you know, where it needs to fit into the bigger picture. So that really, that, that kind of set me up for my whole career, ha- having that experience. Yeah. So it's this idea, because I think I've found, I've worked in bigger organizations and oftentimes there can be a, a desire for engineers to specialize and to sort of put people in these different organizations such that you only see a tiny part of the process and people will tell you, you know, you need to get out there and, and 
see the other parts of the process that go into, you know, making the overall product that we make. But it sounds like your career, your early career opportunities allowed you to see, you know, a, a, the vast expanse of everything that happens in order to, to get to the result that your company is trying to achieve. Yeah, I mean, listen, there, there are advantages that a bigger company can offer because um, there are certainly, you know, when it comes to stability, um, a lot of people will feel more comfortable with a bigger company. Um, there are also, you know, when you talk about these like really big mega projects, that little company is not going to get it. So if you want to have the experience in that type of project, then you really have to go to the bigger company. Um, but I think as a general rule in smaller companies, you have a much bigger, better opportunity to kind of just like, you know, volunteer and say, hey, you know, yeah, I'd like to actually be involved in something. And they'll be like, all right, if they think you have the skills, they'll put you into that. Whereas in a big company, you have a lot of bureaucracy, you know, well, that's not our department. You know, we can't just move somebody to that. It's a lot harder to, to shift around, whereas a small one you can. Yeah, totally. And then as you reflect on your career, um, what are some of the things that you wish you maybe would have done differently? Um, you know, I wish I started doing uh, public speaking at like conferences and things like that a lot earlier than I did. Um, I enjoy the public speaking. I enjoy the interaction with the groups, but it just wasn't something that I started doing until about three or four years ago. And the truth is I actually took a public speaking class as a non-tech elective as an undergrad. Um, the main driver for that was that I heard it was an easy A. So, yeah. you know, if I can kind of combine that into my engineering class it's going to be much harder you know i did gain the skills and i think i used some of the public speaking skills in my daily life in my work experience but i never got in front of a crowd at a conference until about three four years ago yeah so how did you actually get started when it came to public speaking um well like i said i took took that course um so i always had in the back of my mind but there are a lot of conferences out there that are just, you know, they're looking for speakers and you can just send an abstract in with your topic, with some of your sample slides, what you want to discuss. Um, and I know that some of them have a committee that looks at them. Um, other ones, they basically have it broken down into different categories and they'll have somebody who's the session chair. And I know I got, I got an email from them once and they said, okay, Hey, the session chair is looking through all of the, uh, applications that fit his, you know, topic or that general session, uh, you know, advice. And he picked mine. I was like, all right, sounds good. So you kind of, you, you show up, you have your, um, usually it's about a half hour slot. And I just really enjoyed it. So I started uh, kind of go, go, going back to the conferences and always uh, submitting something to present. Yeah, that's um, fantastic. The, I'll tell you, the other thing that I, that I do is, um, have you ever heard of uh, Toastmasters International? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I go. I still go to them. Go to them. You know, every other week. I mean, not not during the current Corona situation, but every other week, and go to the meetings. And it's a really good way for people of all skill levels to help improve their craft. Um, it's a very opening, very warm, uh, open and warm environment. And you find that there's really a lot of people there on every level. So I certainly recommend uh, people check that out. You know, their local uh, Toastmasters uh, chapter as well. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a great way to get started with public speaking. Um, so I noticed on your website, you share a lot about job hunting and, and how to find the career that you want, how to find the job that you want. 
What are some of the best pieces of advice you have on how to go about getting a, the job that you most desire? Um, well, I think two things that are sort of on top of my mind. Um, the first one is don't start networking when you want to find a job, because at that point, you know, you're trying to reach out to people. They never heard of you. They don't know, you know, where you want to go. And you're also under a lot of pressure. So I recommend start networking now, start meeting people now so that when you come to that situation, you know, you are better prepared. Um, the other thing, I'm a big believer in um, Cal Newport's book about um, sort of building up your skills and not worrying necessarily about your passion because, and I found this, you know, in my own career, like I told you, I never heard of energy efficiency or energy engineering sort of this whole area until I got into it. And here I am 18 years later, you know, I've gone to different jobs within it, but I love this field. I really have a, a passion for it. And I think that it's important to recognize that it's okay if, you know, you, you didn't have a specific job on your mind, you know, from the time you were little and went through college, you know, just go for it and then start developing the skills to have some career mobility. You can really kind of craft it in the way you want it and kind of get a job that you love. Yeah. And when it comes to actually sitting down and saying, I want this particular job, what would be a good action plan for that person to take? Um, I think the first thing I would do is try to reach out to a couple of people who have that job currently, um, ask them what they do like about it. And also importantly, ask them what they don't like about it. Um, because there might be things that you know, you have in your mind on what that job entails, and that may not be the reality. So that's a good way to kind of get some information about the field, about the position. But then I think start networking, um, going to the association um, events for your engineering uh, major, um, reaching out to alumni, uh, even, you know, reaching out to neighbors and friends, anybody you have a connection with, even if they're not necessarily, you know, in an engineering position, the fact is all engineering firms, they have accountants, they have production people, they have front office people, they have the finance people. So you have people who are in engineering firms, even if they're not engineers. So don't be afraid to reach out and really expand that network beyond uh, other engineers. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And one thing I've noticed, I think there tends to be this belief among people that, well, not even necessarily belief, it's just not super well thought out. It's just when I want to get a job and I definitely had this, I'm just going to shoot my resume at a bunch of online applications. So would you say that that is a useful way to go about it or is there a more optimal strategy when you decide, um, I want, you know, I, I need to find a job. Right. I mean, I, I actually have a, a big pet peeve with uh, online applications just because I think it's too easy for them to like look at your application and be like, no, nope, he doesn't have, you know, exactly what we wanted and they throw it out. So you're not even given a chance. And I know I actually, I had a discussion with one of the engineers I was working with and he was very frustrated with this. He's like, listen, it should be a meritocracy. You know, if I have the best grades, best, you know, you know, experience for this job, I should get the job. It's not fair that somebody who has a, a contact in there can also be competing with me. And what I said to him, like, listen, there, there are times where the better person will get the job. And I think that's usually the case. 
However, you still have to get your resume in front of the right person and present your case to show them that, hey, I am that right, I am that person. So, and the only way you can do that is through networking and through actually having a uh, personal connection. Now, the one caveat to that is obviously that's gonna be a lot more time consuming and more, you know, more difficult than online applications. So I wouldn't tell you, you know, don't do online applications, but I wouldn't put too much weight into them and think that this is all I need to do to get a job. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Saul. Um, it, as we uh, wrap up this interview, is there anything you'd like to leave the audience with any, any final pieces of advice that you'd have for engineers out there? Uh, well, I mean, I guess, especially in this time, you know, with the whole Corona cloud uh, on top of us, you know, they should know that things do get better. I actually graduated, you know, after 9-11. So that was also a really tough time to find a job. So I have a lot of empathy for what they're going through. Um, kind of keep looking, don't give up. You'll be good. And also, if any of your uh, listeners want to reach out to me, I'm certainly here to uh, help give them, give them some guidance. Fantastic. And where is it that they can reach you? Um, well, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so they can find me. Just search for uh, Saul Rosenbaum PE. You'll uh, find me there. Um, and they can also check out my website, uh, www.theengineeringmentor.com. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on, Saul. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Engineer Soft Skills Podcast. If you're interested in more, you can go to engineersoftskills.com to check out more videos, podcasts, articles, and to download a free PDF called The Ultimate Guide to Soft Skills. This is a 25-page ebook covering the best of what I've learned on how to level up your soft skills in order to develop a career and life that you love. Thank you for listening.